2: I personally like hard cried on this one. Not misty eyed. Hard cried. Like this one got me. It was rough. This was rough, rough for me.
1: Damn. <laughs>
2: welcome, welcome everyone to the Two to Ramble podcast. My uh, my name's Richard. My name's Austin. Yeah, so this is episode 29. Big 29. So today we're actually going to be doing our pitch review of Hyperion by Dan Simmons. And how this kind of works is I've read the book, Austin has not, and I'm going to be trying to pitch him to read the book, and you all at home.
3: Yeah, so I'm in the same spot as the audience. I have not read this. The audience possibly has not read this. And if you have read this, then you'll probably find out some cool stuff because Richard did some research, has some cool background on this. And I know you're super excited about Hyperion as a book. Definitely. So, yeah, what, what's the general summary of this to the spoiler-free review we're about to give? And yeah, by the way, this give.
2: entire review will be spoiler-free. Yeah. Now, what that entails, I'm not going to be spoiling any twists or any real plot details, but I will be talking about what the book is about and the type of stories that are in here. Right. If you don't want any type of spoilers at all, you know, don't. Don't watch the rest, but I won't be spoiling anything major.
3: Yeah, Richard will be good about this. He knows how much I hate spoilers. Like, yeah. I despise spoilers, <laughs> and since I haven't read this yet, I want to read it, and based on what you said, and this will probably convince me to put it on the top of my to-be-read list, if you do a good job. oh yeah, I'll, so, I'll do my best. Let's see.
2: <laughs> All right, so uh, Hyperion by Dan Simmons. What the book is about is a sci-fi book set in the far distant future with uh, seven pilgrims on a planet called Hyperion. They're going on this uh, pilgrimage to to a place, and they wonder why they were the ones chosen out of ev- everyone in the universe. They were the ones picked to go on this pilgrimage. And so they tell each other their story on why and how they got to where they are to try and piece together the overall picture of why they're all going, because okay. they all have a purpose. They all have are there for a reason. And so the entire book is broken down into short stories where each character is telling everyone else their story so it's a Mm. in many ways it's a book with a collection of short stories tied together and very obviously it is a sci-fi version of the canterbury tales if you know it's very old uh very old story by oh hurts my hurts my head the names i'm terrible at names um uh, Joffrey Chaucer um wrote the Canterbury Tales. Okay. And that's a story about um a group of seven pilgrims going from London to Canterbury. Gotcha. Telling each other's stories.
3: And this is a short story, and all seven pilgrims have their short story in here. Is that how it works?
2: I I will not go any further on whose okay. short story goes who.
3: Got it, but there are several short stories in here.
2: Yeah, I'll be talking about several of them. Okay. So um a little bit about Dan Simmons. He was um, he's actually an elementary school teacher for 18 years before he started writing. This is the author, of course. Yeah. And he, after he started writing, he's actually published about 26 published novels with many short stories and also some poetry.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: The book Hyperion has won the, won the 1990 Hugo Award for Best Novel and the 1990 Locus Award for Best Novel. And... Um, the Hugo Award being a very well-established um, award. Isn't that, uh, that that's for,
3: basically your author's Oscar award, isn't it? It's
2: For it's, sci-fi and fantasy, yes it is. Right. Um, it's actually by the World Science Fiction Society. And the first one was in 1953.
3: The first Hugo Award. First Hugo was
2: 1953. Award. So the 11th World Science Fiction Convention. Okay. Um, they named the Hugo Award after the founder... Of the um, science fiction magazine, uh, Hugo Gern- Gernsback. Got it. So, it's been going a long time. It's a very prestigious award to get. Mm-hmm. And, and this, sorry,
3: what year was it that this one, 1980? 1990. Oh, 90. 1990.
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, little bits about the book itself. There's possible an adaptation coming, maybe. Uh, Bradley Cooper expressed uh, quite a bit of interest back in 2017, and he has been going on about a while, and then it just kind of fell through. There was it going to be a miniseries, TV series, movie? Who knows? Then actually, in November 2021, as after Dune, the um, Warner Bros announced that it's actually going to be developed as a film. So it oh, looks to be far more in the works. It will be a film. It is still in that development stage, so no casting has been decided. Mm. Bradley Cooper is going to be one of the producers. We don't know if he's going to act in the role. Is he no so interested
3: story. because he's read the book?
2: Yeah, apparently he read the book in college. Got However, it. there's like little, I won't go too much into it, but the little drama of Dan Simmons posting about it on his on his own website and blog that Bradley Cooper never contacted him huh. about the movie. Right. Never t- like, during the whole process of trying to develop the movie, never once tried to get in contact with the author of the book. Hmm. And he was just like, it's a little weird. And he's like, I guess I understand it's Hollywood, but. Okay. Still. Um, but all that beyond, hopefully it actually goes through with the success of Dune and all these other fantasy movies.
3: Especially sci-fi, like a recent yeah. sci-fi movie like Dune. Everything, You're, everywhere, all at once. Yep. Yeah. And, and you said Dune, not that they're similar, but they, what is it about Dune and Hyperion that, that akins them so often?
2: I mean, they're both staples of, I mean, Dune is the far more well-known mm-hmm. sci-fi book. I, the reason why I like Hyperion better than Dune is because both have really great worlds. Yeah. Great. But Hyperion has much better characters. Okay. Much better.
3: Then I think we all have to hear this. What is your official rating of sure. Hyperion?
2: I give the rating a 9.35. 9.35 out
3: of 10. Yeah. Not out of 100. <laughs> Nine point three five, that is the elite category for you. You do not give your nines lightly.
2: No, no, I do not.
3: And this gets it.
2: Oh, it gets it. And it's
3: You have no doubt about it being a nine plus.
2: Oh no, it's it's something that is truly special. And I've I've been debating like what is my favorite book? Not like what do I think is the best. Mm. What's my favorite? And I've been toying between Lord of the Rings and Hyperion. Oh, that's and I don't know which is my I I consider my favorite.
3: So you would say Hyperion is an absolute must-read?
2: Definitely. If you're into into sci-fi, you have to read Hyperion. Okay. Mandatory. Mandatory reading. So um, that's kind of the stuff about uh, the writing. Um, I was going to get into the types of stories that are actually told. Let's hear it. Yeah. So so
3: these are the tropes it covers or the types of it, what kind of reader would be interested genre. in this? The genre. Okay.
2: So now I loved every story, but if one of these type of stories is interesting to you, then it has something for you. Mm. So uh, I'll be spoiling the the name of the story or like kind of the chapter title. It's not a real spoiler, but it's an it's a teaser. It's enticing you. This is permissible. This is permissible. This is the trailer. Okay, I'm I'm giving you the trailer. Yeah, the trailer name. So the first, uh, one of the first story is the priest's tale, the man who cried God. Now this is actually a horror story, and guys, I was actually very scared. (laughs) It's a very creepy, creepy story and deals with the pain and fear of immortality so it does quite a bit of body horror it does um, psychological horror and a lot of isolation and deals with kind of that loneliness and isolation um personally when I first read it I had to Put down the book to like just digest it. Ooh. When I finished that part of the story, and I just had to like take a pause. And uh, yeah, so it was it was really moving to me. But one of the aspects that I will be getting into every single one of these stories, what it does so well, is this story is separate, but it teases you about the wider story, and teases and gives you a little bit more about the world. So uh, this story introduces you to the future's version of Catholicism. It introduces you to the concept and the the burden that time has with long term space travel. So how if you're trying to travel between planets, the travel takes decades. And so they put people in cryogenic freezing. And so, you know, when they travel from one planet to another Suddenly, all their family's dead because they were on cryogenic freezing for 30 years to get to their planet's destination.
3: So, this is where the horror aspect takes place. That's
2: not even the horror aspect. Oh. That's a part of the world. Was... It, through every story, you feel the sense of time and the real weight of it. So, with Star Wars type things, you mm-hmm. always see like, you know, hyper jump or like, just, you know, go across you're the galaxy. There, yeah. you're, you're there. This one, there's two types of space travel there is the instant type, but then there's also the slow slow (laughs) well i mean it's fast it's faster than light speed but it takes decades for people or just even years Mm -hmm. so if someone's going to their job and they come they go to their job and they come back for them it's only been a year for their loved one it's been 20 and that's a part of life in this whole society yeah so and that's something that continues on to the rest of the stories but it is teased in this one, and there's a bunch of mysteries that even after the story is done, there's a bunch of mysteries that are unsolved that you pick up the clues in other stories.
3: I'm afraid people are gonna click off the video because they're probably already convinced <laughs> to, <laughs> to go read it. They're like, all right, I've heard enough. All right, cool. cool. Because the in sci-fi world, your the world you create in sci-fi is everything. It is so yeah. important, and it seems like Hyperion just has a really cool one where long space travel exists, as well as uh, you're saying fast. Travel also exists. Instant travel exists. Yeah. But
2: within certain...
3: There's rules to it, I assume. there are. Got it.
2: And even just to establish instant travel requires some sacrifice. Okay. Which one of the stories actually does get into the sacrifice made to develop instant travel.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's one of the coolest parts about world building and magic systems are creating limitations to that and costs and sacrifice Mm -hmm. in order to get something cool.
2: Well, sci-fi is all about the what if, uh. and this one really is a what if, uh, what if a society was so interconnected and what would happen in a multi-planetary society? Okay. How would that affect people's, people's uh, moving across different planets? How would instant travel from planet to planet affect everything? What would the culture be like? Mm-hmm. Um... It goes into other aspects that we'll get into later, but I want to get into the next one. He that is... was
3: only the first part. That was only the horror aspect, right? <laughs> that's only the that's only one of them. Right. That was the, the priest title. The priest tale. The, the man p- who
2: cried. And that's all... The man who cried God.
3: Right. So someone that likes horror, yeah, yeah. they've got that. Yeah. Okay.
2: And you're introduced to... In that story, you're introduced to the Shrike.
3: Which, which is the Shrike's on the cover? Yeah. Got it.
2: Terrifying creature. <laughs> described.
3: Okay, so short story two. What's the second genre? Short story two.
2: (laughs) There's six of them going through right now, so it will be, you know, we're taking our time with (laughs) it. Uh, Second one is the soldier's tale. The war lovers. Now this one is kind of your uh, the tropes is mostly action, war, and a story of lust and obsession. And I specifically say lust, not love because there's another more love story in there, but not this one um the i, I will actually give the credit the first criticism here and it's probably my biggest one okay. for the book when dan simmons writes like uh sex scenes just they're a little awkward i i don't mm. think they're well written that okay. i know they're necessary especially in this story definitely you're sure they that
3: they're just not well written or is that you don't like sex scenes
2: uh sex scenes can be written fine but it, okay it it it's worded weird.
3: It's not like one of those things where you just don't like them. You just actually think it's not written well.
2: Yeah, I, I just don't think it's written well. Gotcha. It's written unrealistically, hmm. I guess. Like, it's. I guess someone would probably. And this has come kind of from me. Like, it's probably very uh, misogynistic kind of sex scenes. It's very. Um, Honestly, I, I don't know how to describe it without actually going into details, and I don't think hey, that's appropriate on the people channel. Should <laughs> people should read it. People should read yeah. it. I think it's written awkwardly. Okay. It's weird. But it's part of it. It's not It's not a detractor. It's not a significant detractor to me at all. Right, so. that's
3: why you didn't give it a 9.5. It's the 9. Yeah, there 35. we go. <laughs> right, right. Okay, well, I'm starting to see the flaws. Yeah.
2: Okay. But uh, this story is goes into the chaos of war, and... Kind of how like you know when every everyone starts with a plan and then it just goes messy, and then the how a man's obsessions go and how that changes someone's life and how much a man will go through and how much what a man will do to accomplish when he's obsessed. And so it makes a lot of mistakes, uh, drives his entire being and his whole his whole life, and the more interesting aspect of the story is it gives you an insight into the control, the kind of upper echelon of the society, the military force that the society uses to start conquering. And it gives you more into the world and it gives you our first real taste of what the destination is mm. that our pilgrims are going to. And it gives you our our first like real, like, oh, that's where they're all heading. And it gives... It gives that new sense of horror. So now, when you go back to the pilgrims, you go, "Oh God, that's what they're heading to. Why are they heading there?" Got it. So
3: <laughs> I, I am I, the I am now.
2: trying to. I, I am trying to give enough without spoiling it. No, am if, I doing a good job? of Not are, spoiling anything? No, you are okay. very
3: well. Because the way you, you, if you stopped right now, I'm putting. I'm currently reading The Hobbit, but as soon as I finish <laughs> my Tolkien binge, I'm going into Hyperion. It sounds like. So yeah. you, don't, you don't have to do much more for me, but I think there's some people in the audience that are still being, hmm, I don't know yet. Yeah. So I, let's see if you can convince. We'll, we'll keep it going.
2: Yeah. Uh, the next one is The Poet's Tale. And, um, and Just
3: keep track. It's the horror element. You have the war/lust. war slash so, lust. War action. It has war.
2: a lot of action written into it, Got so it. a lot of fighting, a lot of action that okay. you get. So, so if
3: you like war, if you like that action, war-like soldier story, okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Then you have The Poet's Tale. So um, the third is The Poet's Tale. Yeah. Hyperion Cantos. Okay. Title of the book. Uh, this is a man out of time uh, story. So um, it also deals with the loneliness that you find with a loss of purpose. so a um, it this one goes delves into the upper echelons of society. what is what do the you know the rich and the affluent? how do they live in this interconnected planetary society and with their technology of instant like imagine you can directly connect to the internet with your mind and instantly gain knowledge so you can absorb information and knowledge and instantly how does that affect culture Mm. how does that affect entertainment when there's just such an abundance that they're nothing special anymore
3: like like you said with sci-fi it's asking the what if like what if people had instant access to information
2: yeah so um this poet is able to bring something fresh to this society because he's a man out of time. He has a fresh perspective that no one's heard before. And that's what throws him into the high society. And in this one, again, you see the cost of time and how people die around him and like people he's met, people he's loved, and then wakes up, they've been dead for 100 years. What does that do? How does that affect families? How how are family uh, family relationships even work and operate? Um, and also this deals again teases you more about the where the previous stories on the what that they're going for, uh, what the destination is. Uh, The third story deals more with why, and you start getting into the motivations of the Shrike. You start getting into uh, what's what's the true purpose that they're going there. Why are they doing it, and really what the danger is and the history of the planet Hyperion, the one they're on.
3: So each short story, each perspective gets you closer to. Yeah, you, you feel like you're progressing constantly.
2: Well, you feel and... like it, this is a puzzle that you're you have a puzzle in front of you, mm-hmm. and you're slowly being given the pieces, and mm-hmm. then you fit them together yourself. So it is a very good pace of filling in the world and filling in the story.
3: Is that something that's so beautiful about it? Do you think it's really well paced?
2: It it that's the reason why the reason why I love it, this book, is because of how it it deals with the plot and the world building in the exact same manner. Hmm. And that is a cool thing to read. Where yeah, there's a plot of them going to the they're going to the uh Destination. Sure, that's a plot, but the real plot is why. Why are they all doing this? And that you find out, of course, from the person's own story, but that person's story, that information is feeds into other people's stories and fills in uh, the gaps oh, that so you're cool. missing.
3: Okay.
2: It, it's a wonderfully, wonderfully interconnected story.
3: Um, so that, those yeah. were three of the stories. Now we're going into yeah. the next the next topic is what Exactly.
2: The next one is The Scholar's Tale. The river's lithe taste is bitter. That's the name of the one. This one is your tragedy. Really sad story. I actually, um, I personally like hard cried on this one. Not misty-eyed, hard cried. Like this one got me. It was rough. This was rough, rough for me. Damn. Yeah. Uh, This actually goes into one of our first things I'm talking about, the philosophy it deals with, is the uh, story of Abraham. So this uh, story has uh, Sol Withentrop, a Jewish scholar in the future, and one of the things he's studying is, and wrote a paper on, is the, the problem of Abraham. From the Bible. From the Bible. Of basically... How can a good and just God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac? That's the first question. The second question is, how is the how is the moral lesson that it was good that Abraham was willing to sacrifice his child? How uh, one, For, how for is those that who good? don't
3: know the story, it's a very popular story. Um, what, could you expand on what that is sure. for people? Sure.
2: God talks to Abraham. This is his first introduction to God, and God has, tells Abraham to bring his uh, to bring up a lamb to sacrifice on top of hill. Abraham does it. He does a couple other different sacrifices, and then finally God says, "Now bring your son Isaac up to the top of the hill and sacrifice him and you know, kill him." And, and Abraham, Abraham struggles, but he does do it. And he's God. about he's about to plunge the knife into his son. And God tells him to stop and wait and don't. And then basically proving his obedience to God. Now, theists talk about that a lot, actually. Mm. So there's a bunch of different theological reasons and explanations behind it. This book goes a little bit into it. Right. And the uh, professor in the story goes through his, his own type of Abraham story, goes through a similar situation himself.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm going to read the book, okay? You don't, you could stop. You could stop now, seriously. I I prepared all but, this stuff. No, you here's the thing. It's you're going through story like this seems like a different story everything you're saying is yeah. There's this aspect. That's story 1, story 2, story 3. And this is one book.
2: This is Yeah. It's not that long of a it's book. It's not even either.
3: that huge of a book. It's a this is a very manageable book. Yeah. And th- from what you're describing, it's like you're explaining a 17 book series right to me right now. And this is yeah, insane. It's a, col- I mean,
2: it's a collection of short stories that's perfectly woven together. Now I don't know. I, I, I just that's just amazing to me.
3: That is incredible. Which uh, so you're telling me all that's in this book? Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, I'll go quickly through the last two.
3: No, no, I don't mean to speed up. I just mean, like, you had me convinced that the first one, (laughs) uh, I don't need more. (laughs) But keep going, yeah. Uh,
2: the last one is The Detective's Tale, uh, The Long Goodbye, which, great, great title for, like, any book or movie, I think. But this one is your classic noir mystery type, and it's also a romance. Um, typically with the trope With
3: bad sex scenes, of course.
2: Less so in this one. Okay, okay. Somehow.
3: More passable.
2: But yeah, it's still awkwardly written. It's, <laughs> okay. It's just... it's. Eh. But right. again, this is more romance rather than lust. Mm. The soldier one, it's a lot of sex scenes because it is far more focused on the control of lust mm-hmm. rather than actual love and romance. This one, it's actually like a romance story, which is different. Um. No, so the classic noir type and the a noir detective is like this you know, suave or maybe grizzled uh, private private eye detective guy, and then the femme fatale comes in and, you know, needs help with murder or whatever, needs help. This one, it's the reverse. The uh, detective is this uh, Martian woman, and so she's a private eye, and one day this guy comes into her office and says, I need your help uh, solving uh, murder. And she says... Okay, who was murdered? And he says,
3: "The book fell as soon as you said someone got <laughs> murdered. That is very suspicious." Okay,
2: he comes in and she asks, uh, "Who was who was murdered?" And he says, "Myself." And so she has to solve his murder.
3: I have a lot of questions. Yeah.
2: I don't want I don't want to give too. I don't want to give too many answers to that. Oh, exactly. I just want to give that hook there.
3: I just love that there are zero spoilers because if you spoiled one thing, I would be absolutely pissed off at you. I'm, I, would I think so I'm doing angry. my best. You are. I'm you giving are. the
2: maximum amount of information you, without spoiling.
3: And I'm almost getting angry that you're not telling me, but I'm also very happy you're not telling me. It's yeah. a it's a perfect mix. Okay.
2: So it, it is that reverse reverse of the gender trope. Mm-hmm. Um. It's a really fun action one, so there's quite a bit of action in that story. Um, it is a bit, it is far more upbeat than the rest, but there is some sad mixed elements in it, or else, you know, why would she be going on this journey? <laughs> why would she be going on this mission? Um, with this story, you get to see more into the world about the underbelly. So we got to see the high society, we got to see the military, now we get to see the underbelly. Of this civilization, mm. and we get to see the cult-like religions that are cropping up. So that—that's okay. some of the the seeds you get from it. Um, last one is the consul's tale. <laughs> I'm
3: sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? There's so much. I don't believe that there's that much in this book at this there's point. There's so it's, much. <laughs> it's, it's not that big of a book. It's, no, it's really not. It doesn't seem like this. Is Here, here's basketball. the thing,
2: and we had this discussion a while ago. Yeah, which one? On well, on about a, like poetic. Versus like uh, someone's prose and writing being poetic versus kind of like modern writing. It's yep. really straightforward. And By a simple. while
3: ago, we literally had this conversation last week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not that long ago.
2: <laughs> but the reason yeah. why this book fits so much, uh-huh. it's efficient with words. Okay. It doesn't like with modern language, you'd have to tell the story. It would take a lot longer. But Got it. when you <laughs> when something is as well written as this mm. and it is precise, and it doesn't need to mince words. It uses a lot of complex language that you just have to accept. Mm-hmm. But it's able to be efficient with its time. It's kind of the reason why Brandon Sanderson's, I think, best work is Emperor's Soul. It's 130 pages. That's it. Really efficient. But he can't waste any words. He do- yeah. It is also his most beautifully written book. That's not a coincidence. <laughs> this, the writing in Hyperion is beautiful.
3: Hey yeah, that's I just wanted to make clear to even people on the audio only. This is not a massive it's it's a book. It's a typical sci-fi fantasy book length, would you say? It is not longer than your typical sci-fi fantasy book. Is that fair to say from what you've read? Just because I don't want it to seem too daunting for people to be like, oh, this is a lot to get into. It is it does not seem daunting.
2: In the small version of the book,
3: it's like 470-something pages yeah, I saw? Yeah, 470. 470. 470 yeah. pages. It is It is very doable and manageable. So don't mm-hmm. let that... If you're on audio only and you can't see this, it's just don't let that uh, make you hesitant to read this book. Yeah.
2: All right. Okay. Uh, so I'll get... This is the last one. We'll go over and then we'll go into some other stuff. Uh, the console's Tale, Remembering Siri. This is your love story and your your tragic love story. So classic. This is... Um, Deals with lovers uh, aging differently due to time dilation. So, uh, I I won't go any further into the plot of that.
3: Well, people that love the movie Interstellar will probably really love this book.
2: This deals with a lot of that. Yeah, if you love Interstellar, read the book. Um, We see, uh, again, how how love will actually make people do things that are even hopeless. Like what it drives people to do, even beyond reason. So, and then in this story, we get to see the damage that the overarching society called the hegemony uh, does to planets and people when it establishes instant travel. So, we get to see the cost of establishing instant travel, like what it costs people to actually put this up. Because it's not inst- to create instant travel to a place, you have to get there first. And then you have to establish it. And all of that takes time, okay. decades going by. And what does that do to people? Um, And this one especially has quite a few twists and turns that links into the Pilgrim story. And I think this one was probably one of the more simple stories. Uh, pretty straightforward. But I thought it was really, it was a sweet one. It was a sweet story. But I would say, of if I had to pick, like, what's the weakest story? I think they're all good. I think it's that one, The Consul's Tale. I just think it's good. It's not as prophetic okay. or as emotionally moving as the others. Gotcha. But very good. Wow. That is wow. Hyperion. And <laughs> here's the thing. I haven't even gone into the literary and philosophical references that this story goes into. Do you want to go into that? I will go into them briefly. There's mainly so, so i talk. So
3: this is story aside with that is the story of hyperion that is a story and if you could summarize that in a like a, let's say a one minute TikTok, what would you say how, how would you how would you really condense that into a this is why it's one of my favorite books ever
2: it's a sci-fi pilgrimage with a collection of short stories that are woven together to create a unifying story in a very interesting and compelling world
3: fantastic awesome yeah. So, so now, now you're going to get into the elements that this whole entire story talks about philosophically.
2: I yeah. actually already brought up a little bit. So we brought up the Canterbury Tales okay. uh, from Geoffrey uh, Chaucer and also Abra- the story of Abraham from the Bible. And there's plenty of others that I've not mentioned a ton. If you're into philosophy, if you're into kind of classic writings and poetry, there's a lot of references in here, and a lot of it deals with that. But the big one, the big one... Um, which, the name of the book is actually taken from, is John Keats. He's a poet. Uh, the 1800s. He was born 1795 to 1821, and uh, someone he, did their research. I know uh, research. <laughs> yeah. um, he did mostly poetry. His first being "O Solitude." One of the poems that he's wrote that is more of the famous poem is called Hyperion. He wrote it was this epic poem, and it was unfinished. He was not able to finish this poem, but the section that is still around today um, is centered around the Olympian gods. So first there were the Titans, and then after, so these Titan gods, and then after that, the Olympic gods come through. Uh, One of the Titan gods is is Hyperion, who is the sun god. The story basically goes, all the Titans are moaning about their loss of power. And, but the only one who still has power is Hyperion, Sun God. And then he goes to the rest of the Titans to help them out. And it cuts to Apollo crying um, on the beach. He's the new Sun God of the Olympians. And the goddess of memory, I can't even pronounce the name. You can put it on screen, the, the actual name. Just, Here it is. Yeah, it,
3: Good, Try it. Try to pronounce the name.
2: Minosone? Min- no sinning whatever. Good job. It hurts. Um he uh Apollo looks into her eyes and reveals knowledge of how he fully becomes a god. And th- the reason why he's crying is because he understands his great potential, but he's crying because he does not believe he can live up to the shoes that he is filling. Anyway, he died of tuberculosis. The the, the author. author, the author, not Apollo. Yeah, the god not Apollo. Not, the
3: god did not die of tuberculosis. Yeah,
2: um, and John Keats was only became famous after his death, uh, like most great mm. artists. Um, but yeah, that is where the title of the book comes from. That's where a lot of the themes come from. Actually, John Keats himself actually plays a big role in the book. I won't say how, but he is significantly a part of the book. And there's so much more I can't even get into. Like there's so many re- there's references Ooh. to Plato, to Aristotle, to Socrates, all the classic western philosophers. Hell, there's even um cute references to um uh the Wizard of Oz and different types of Toto's music. Toto's in there. Yeah. Let's go uh, Toto. So there there's a bunch of bunch of those kind of references.
3: Sweet. And
2: it's a wonderful story. So if
3: someone likes philosophy and what you'd say, classical literature? Classical literature, yeah. They will absolutely love this, but would this book also be for someone that isn't interested in that? Or would you say, if someone doesn't doesn't like these topics, would you say it's not for them?
2: I think so. It deals a lot with philosophy. Okay. A lot of the, the value that the book brings is moral discussion and moral debates.
3: So if you're just kind of looking for a fun I don't want to think about this. This ride, is not your action-packed book. Okay, don't like read this you're just not going to
2: get the same out of it. Right. Don't um, don't
3: read this if you're just looking for a, I want a casual, you know, casual Tuesday I want to read and like, yeah. you know, binge a thriller. This isn't that.
2: This is this is the nerd's book. Okay. This is a nerdy book like it's, it's not your casual book. Gotcha. Also, something to note is This book does not hold your hand. There's absolutely no uh, exposition dumps. None. There's no explanation ever given to you about anything. About the words. Nothing. You just have to figure it out on your own. And it goes hard. Like you are thrown into the deep end. So one, it's when my suggestion reading it is you will not understand things for a while. Like a little bit like. You're just going to have to accept that you don't understand it all and you will have to piece it together as the story goes. So don't get discouraged when you start reading going, what the hell is this name of this thing? What's this do? Just have to let it, let it happen.
3: Let it happen. Well, awesome.
2: Now, that is about what I have, uh, on the book. Uh, I'm do want, I'm going to run through quickly just for the sake of the video. Mm -hmm. Um, each of the scores I gave emotional impact a nine point three five, characters a solid nine, plot nine point two five, dialogue and prose a nine point two five, and the world building a nine
3: point five. So which totals to your average score nine point three five. If hearing it's a nine point three five. Yeah. So not not, not a single out. category in a rating system went below a nine.
2: No. Well, there you have it. You have any questions for me about this book? Did I did I do my job? Did I convince you to read? it? Did I pitch it to you?
3: To me, absolutely. All right, yeah, there we go. Absolutely, because you've we've had a casual conversation about this. Mm-hmm. About hey, like you told me how much you love this book, and I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, Rishi, I'm, I'm trying to cook, like get out of here. I'm like in the kitchen, or like you're like, awesome, you've got to read this. book. Like, oh, Rishi, I'm in the bathroom. Can you go away? Like, you know, it's always the yeah. weird times. But now we set a dedicated time for you to pitch this book. It did it for me. I think I will. I will say after I finish with The, the Hobbit, after I finish with Tolkien, yeah. I have to do that quickly, not quickly, I take my time, but <laughs> after I do Tolkien, I will read this next. Absolutely.
2: Great. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to discuss the book with you after you've read it, Terrific. especially. Um, maybe we could even do a video, uh, a full review once you've fully read it.
3: And if anyone who has read Hyperion listened to this just because they wanted to hear someone give a spoiler-free <laughs> review about it, uh, yeah, let us know if you want one where we do a spoiler full version. It's going to be a little bit before I get there, Yeah. but this seems like it, this book is right up my alley. And I, I think you probably could have some people out there. Hi, the two people. That are- yeah,
2: um, yeah if, if you've sat through the whole video <laughs> of us talking about this, um, down below there'll be a link in the description to an affiliate link to buy this book if you want to support Uh, What we do here, Um, you can read the book yourself.
3: And also support Dan Simmons. Dan Simmons is alive, right? Yes, yes. Okay, and support the author, Dan Simmons. (laughs) Okay, that would have been really grim. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, everybody. This has been Tootle Ramble. All
2: right. Bye, y'all. See you next week. Peace.
1: This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries.